Welcome to episode three of Honestly Unbalanced. This week we chatted to Jules Sampson, who's like the master of yoga retreats. In 2005, she set up Reclaim Yourself Retreats and since then has run 100 pioneering retreats around the world. The focus of Reclaim Yourself is actually going to unique locations and creating unforgettable and transformational experiences. Uh, recently, Jules been working a little bit on sustainable travel and launching in 2021 a new portfolio of positive impact retreats. Before all this retreat stuff took over, Jules gained a master's in political science and actually worked in international development for 10 years before moving to this wellness industry. Uh, we enjoyed the chat massively. We love Jules. Hopefully you do too. I know for a lot of you around the world at the moment, going outside of your house isn't much of an option. Uh, So Holly and I have put together a little package called Home with the Hustlers that features yoga classes, meditations, breakdowns, short classes, long classes, music and sound journeys. Uh, We're going to be populating that now and forever with uh, as much content as we can get out there. If you go to thehustlers.com, no T, you can find out more about that. Also, I'm running some live classes on Instagram that are donation-based, so maybe see some of you there. Ciao. Honestly unbalanced. Uh, We're we're in the middle of Mm -hmm. all the beginning of the coronavirus stuff happening here in London. Stuff is closing down, so we're having gin. On a Tuesday night, it's needed. Jules, let's open on like a nice note. Yeah. You've done retreats for what, 15 years? Yes, I have. Just give us the nicest place you've ever been. Take us out of our our houses. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, To be honest, lots of people ask me that and it changes regularly because I've been to lots of different places. Um, My favourite place I've ever been is Mongolia and I always say that one. That's the place that is the most remote, most incredible place I've ever been. But my current favourite is my new favourite country, which is Panama. Never, so, been, never, never been. Where is, where is that? Panama, South America? It's, uh, yeah, it's just from going down into South America next to Costa Rica. So I just actually mm. went there on holiday. I actually had a holiday, which never happened. And I went and Lazy. stayed on a private <laughs> island in the Bocas del Toro archipelago and just stayed in this incredible island, white sandy beaches, mm. blue turquoise mm. sea, oh, and just lovely. went, this is paradise. So that's now my new favourite place. Was that the first time you'd been there? Or had yeah. you been there as a retreat before? No. First time. First time. Mm. Just zoomed over there on a little boat and loved it. Amazing. Yeah. So this organising retreat sounds like a pretty damn easy life from what <laughs> yeah, you just described. Yeah, says that. Yeah, just chill out, go on holiday, private island. Check it out. Just no, kind of, that wasn't a retreat, that was holiday. That's it, yeah. So this career as a retreat organiser seems simple. And Mongolia, yeah. was that just a case of you emailed Mongolia, said I want a retreat? How simple was that, that process? Um, Mongolia took me about 10 years to set up, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, most of the retreats that I run, um, they take it takes me at least two years to put something together. Two years? Yeah. It's a long so time. I normally have an idea of a place that I want to work. Mm. Um, and then I start researching and researching. And quite often I'll like have an idea, research somewhere, and it's just not going to work. Mm. So there'll be a country that I want to work in and the infrastructure's not there, or I can't find a way to get people there that's 
like appropriate mm. or it's just too expensive or I can't find the right food sources. There's so many different aspects of it. So quite a few countries just don't work. Mm. And then I might go and revisit them a few years later. But Mongolia was actually a childhood dream of mine. It's always been this country that I'd wanted to go to. And then about 10 years ago... What, what about it? What about it? It's just... When I was a child, Mongolia was closed, so it, you couldn't go there. It was, so what was it, that the 1920s? What was that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, a lot. Yeah. Joking, joking, yeah, joking. It's very funny. <laughs> All right, um, um, but it was closed, and you couldn't get there. And I read a book when I was a child about it was just you know a silly book, but it was about uh, an English girl who had a Mongolian pen pal, which is what you used to do before you had Facebook. Yeah. And he lived in the middle of Mongolia, which is the most remote place in the world, completely closed from the outside world. And I just thought that must be an amazing place to go because no one can go there. And then 10 years ago, um, a flatmate that I was living with at the time was working for an NGO. And she came home and said, oh, I've been given a new country to manage. It's Mongolia. And I was like, oh, Mongolia. Yeah. And then off she went and she came back and she had a Mongolian hat. And I was like, tell me what it's like. The hat, the hat's older. Yeah. And she she said to me, you have to do a retreat there. Um, And then I just started researching and researching and I'd like there's at the time there were some big travel companies like Audley Travel were doing they just had these big camps that people would go and stay in and about you know you could have 200 people staying there and I emailed a few of them and they were like yeah you can bring a group but there's nowhere for you to do yoga and you've got to eat loads of meat and I was thinking well that's not really going to work and I kept looking and I gave up for a while and then it just kept coming up over and over again. You've got to go there. I followed up links. People would I'd email and they wouldn't reply for six months and just thought it was never going to happen. And then I decided I had to just spend, I spent a whole day doing a vision board and getting all the elements of the retreat that I wanted. And then once I'd finished doing that, I got online, I did some Googling and I just decided the location that I wanted to work in, in Mongolia. And then I found that place on a map and I Googled that place. And then I found a newspaper article written by this young guy who'd gone to Mongolia and it and he described his whole experience. And at the bottom it said, um, my experience in Mongolia was hosted by Nomadic Journeys. I was like, oh, Nomadic Journeys, okay. So I Googled them, found them and emailed them and I got a reply two minutes later. And it just so happened that the owner of the company was online and he said, oh yeah, a yoga retreat, that'd be quite interesting. It's quite spiritual here. What would you need? Can we, can we Skype tomorrow? And I was like, oh my God. And then it happened really quickly. Within two weeks, I was on a plane going to Mongolia to check it out. Mm put the retreat together and then it happened the following year so that, that one was like a long work. story yeah it's really hard what's work. this mood board mood board inspiration vision, board, vision board vision board we've talked about this haven't we yeah do you do that for every retreat no 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 i went through a phase of really loving vision boards i think what a time in my life and particularly with reclaim yourself where i wasn't quite sure where it was going and so i was kind of doing a vision board at the beginning of the year to try and help me like stick it's like a kind of instead of doing a strategy I did a vision board but I found for a couple of years I found them really useful in helping me stick to what I wanted to do and so I just thought I'll try one for Mongolia and it worked is that do you do it because you it helps you to get out what's in your head 
and help you bring the vision to life or because you think that there's something behind having something out in front of you every day is going to help that dream manifest on Both. some kind of other level. Both of those actually, because mm. I'm I'm a very visual person. Yeah. So if I sit and try and make a list or do a budget or a spreadsheet, mm. it doesn't really, the retreat doesn't happen for me. Yeah. I have to see it. I have to actually like close my eyes and imagine a group of people mm. in that place and the yoga teacher teaching the yoga and how it would all fit together. Mm. And so the visual, me kind of creating a retreat visually works. And then when you've got your vision board and like looking at every day and the like key words on it, that helps me kind of stick to it and deliver it. Yeah. Keeps you on track. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They are quite powerful. I'd Did love to go to Mongolia now that you've One day. Yeah. We'll get there at some point. Maybe yeah. not now. We'll come on your retreat. Yeah. Next do time. it. You, I guess you didn't think it would be this hard when you got into retreats, did you? Or did you? What your background before yeah, retreats? How, how did it start? Um, well, it, it was kind of an organic thing for me. So I, before I, I, I basically, I was an unhappy expat. Okay. So in Tanzania. So I was... So not uh, a lot of expats there. No, there are expats there, but it, it wasn't the life for me. So I had my previous career, I worked in international development so i started off i was working for uh volunteering for the tibetan government in exile in a tibetan charity and then i worked for an ngo and my whole aim was i wanted to work internationally and when i got a job working in tanzania off i went going yeah i've made it Woohoo! and i got there and just had a really big awakening of oh my god this is not what i thought it was going to be at all and I just didn't really fit in to the whole expat community. I didn't understand that you had to live separately as expats and it was so hard. Were they all like NGO workers or were a lot of them commercial as well? Um, I, I was kind of in the NGO and diplomat kind of, you know, the development lot. So there were other expats there, but it's very hard to meet people. It's very isolating. Mm. And I didn't really fit in. I found it all a bit weird. Um, and my job was really, really tough. And I, I really enjoyed my job, but it was really tough. And the whole experience for me was very, very challenging. And I stuck it out for five years. I just thought, I'm not going to give up. And I keep going. But in that process of being very unhappy and thinking, why don't I like it? I'm getting paid loads of money. I'm living in a big house. I've got a great job. I'm really, why is this not okay for me? And I just kept going. But in the process of doing all of that, this amazing person turned up in my life who was a Slovenian lady called Radka, who um, she ran a uh, like massage and spa place, which all the expats went to, but also so did Tanzanian. So I used to go there and she just said to me one day, I, I, I'm going to run a course teaching people massage. Would you like to join it? And I was thinking... Yeah, might as well. Like, I haven't got anything else to do. I wasn't really enjoying kind of all the socialising, going out. So I thought maybe if I do this massage thing, I might meet some different people. And as soon as I started massaging, I just loved it. Fell in love with it, became obsessed with it. Like, got all these um, anatomy and physiology posters, got a massage table made, was massaging all my friends, did the course with her. And then she said to me you seem to like it go away and do 100 massages and if you still like it after 100 massages come back so i went off and i massaged my friends 10 massages each 10 people came back and she just said yep 
you've got it I want to teach you everything I know so I basically spent two years um, still doing my job but also learning massage healing and then wow. she said Sounds oh I'm like karate kid yeah it is a bit isn't it, it was like, is, so she like, is she really old done, your son. yeah she was quite wise it's like an old wise lady yeah she was an amazing person in my life she kind of took me from one path and put me on another mm. and and really kind of kind of downloaded everything that she knew and just said here have this and so it was a really powerful time in my life and she introduced me to a whole new load of people in this quite you know at the time I lived in Dar es Salaam it was quite small there but she introduced me to all these people she said oh there's this lady that teaches yoga at her house do you want to come I was like yoga yeah I'll give that a go started going to yoga every week love that and she was like oh there's this other woman she's a chef she does nutritional stuff maybe you want to look at that and I just kind of got into this whole new wellness world and loved it and then I spent, I had this kind of two year period where I had my job working in development, which made me feel quite bitter and unhappy. And then doing all this massage and uh, yoga and going away on these weekends with, with all these women and going over to Zanzibar and doing a wellness weekend and going, I love this, I hate this, were I love this. Were you making money for the massage at the time? Yeah. Were you seeing it as a viable way to make a living? No, not at all. Okay. No, I because I was being paid quite a lot of money for my development work. I had a big job. So that was like my big fat salary. And all this stuff was what I was doing and made me happy. And then over those two years, I started to think, do you know what? Life is short. This stuff, I love it. That stuff is doing my head in. I've got to take a leap and just let go of this big fat salary because it's just make, you know money doesn't make you happy does it bold it? move yeah and then so, how did the retreats fit in there so I basically I came back to the UK and signed up to do a nutrition course because I thought I need to kind of learn different aspects never wanted to be a yoga teacher never went down that route I thought I'll, I'll be a massage therapist and I'll learn about nutrition and I thought that I would maybe open my own spa or something mm. I was kind of going down the same route as my teacher I thought I might do that and then um, while I was on the nutrition course I just saw this ad for a job uh, working a season at Purple Valley Yoga Center yoga retreat center which is in Goa um, so I applied and I got the job and it was working in their um, it was not really a spa but it was kind of managing all their massages basically so I went out there for six months and I worked at this retreat center. It's like, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's an Ashtanga yoga retreat yeah, yeah. center. I've seen the towels. Yeah. So, and I worked there for a season and it was such an eye opener because what they do is they have, I don't know what they do now, but at that time they'd have like 40 people coming for one or two week retreats. And then you get teacher after teacher after teacher and it's all the Ashtanga crew. So they're kind of, you know, it's all the big names coming in. And I just kind of looked at all of that and I was like, yeah, this is full on, but I like it. So that was kind of where I went, yeah. Because I, I came back from Tanzania not knowing quite what I wanted to do. Okay. And I was thinking, oh, I'll do some consultancy work and I'll do some wellness events and, you know, I'll massage people and I'll just see how I get on. Didn't really have a plan, just thought I'll just see what happens. And then I went there and I went, yeah, I want to start doing some retreats. I guess that was, so how long ago was this? 15 years 15 ago? 15 years, yeah. So I guess nowadays people think, oh, all I need is a few students and I can just yeah. go to a retreat centre. Back then, retreats weren't that big a thing. Not at all, no. So how would you even have thought about creating your first one or even getting anyone to come on your first one? 
And I guess with the internet a thing then? Um, yeah, it was, but not social media. There was no social media. So no easy so way of people, advertising. People had websites, basically. So how did you even begin I basically just invited my friends. <laughs> so yeah. what I did is I, um, I had a friend who was a chef who'd met on the nutrition course and she was like, yeah, I want to do it with you. Let's do it together. Let's find a yoga teacher. So it was me and a chef. And she, um, I think we said, she said, oh, I know someone who's got a place that we could rent down in Devon. Let's, let's start there. Um, and so we just like found a yoga teacher and then just told all our friends and I think we said it was like 75 quid for the weekend or something and loads of people wanted to come oh amazing yeah why? <laughs> I have no idea I mean I knew a lot of people at that time <laughs> I think I, you know I had a lot of contacts from my job um, and I think people were just intrigued and interested and it was cheap I think yeah. when you really believe in something as well and you've got all that passion behind it, yeah. that gives it a certain energy and it kind of ignites it yeah. and makes it take off, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's, I just think that's interesting the way you've come into it because you didn't just say, I'm going to take up a career change. I'm going to no. become a retreat organiser. No. Like you actually went down various paths. To find. To find something you actually were passionate about. So when it yeah. comes to selling it, your first retreat sold out. Yeah. Because by that point, you absolutely bloody loved it. And I guess the, the way you were talking about it to the yeah. people at the time, you were yeah. probably really selling it just by the passion. Yeah. It wasn't a quick change. It wasn't a quick change. No, it was a transition. It was a transition mm. from one quite big career into something else. But when I started doing it, there weren't really that many retreats around. Mm. There were a few retreat centers, but mostly yoga teachers would take their students away. And what I was doing, because I was never a yoga teacher, so what I was doing... I felt more like I was supporting a yoga teacher to do something when I first started. I didn't see it that I was leading this process. It was like, let me help you run a retreat. You do the logistics. Yeah, that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Um, and then I realized quite quickly that a retreat isn't really just a yoga teacher and logistics. It's, it's a whole thing. Mm. And then I very quickly moved into my passion the main kind of drive for all of all of this is finding these amazing places to do the retreats so you're saying you know it takes two years to find somewhere because i think because i've lived internationally and i've got friends kind of all around the world i kind of get these ideas of like i want to go there and do a retreat no one's doing that let's go and has, that's that's what kicked in quite early has, has, has every retreat been as smooth or has the journey been as smooth okay that retreat no. you sold it like that in a, in a flash no done way. easy no. so now 10 years later has it just been a nice little upward trajectory <laughs> of selling retreats out within a moment <laughs> absolutely no way no I thought it was going to be at the beginning I got really quite full of myself I was like oh my god I'm amazing <laughs> I've got this go. yeah I've got this idea I've put it together my mm. friend helped me make a website mm. and I think for two years everything I did everyone just thought it was amazing uh, you know it's like oh let's do a retreat in Morocco and someone say oh I've got a Riyadh you can use my Riyadh it's dangerous like isn't it cheerleaders are dangerous yeah and I was like yeah oh god I'm amazing and I, I started all of this in 2004 basically and then 2008 financial crash <gasps> didn't see it coming oh absolutely I was so confident that I was so good that I had invested 
all this money in expensive retreat centers that I didn't have any kind of relationship with. And they're like, five grand deposit, non-refundable. Yeah, take it. I'm going to sell it out. No problem. And then financial crash came. I lost everything. I lost about 15 grand in a day because I had to cancel all my retreats and it was all non-refundable. And none of the retreat centers that I was working with, the venues were nice about it. It Did you still go there yourself? No. But if you spent 15 grand on it, I'd, I'd be milking it in each one of them. No, but, yeah. <laughs> no, maybe now. A different I did, bed yeah. every night. Yeah, but no. at the time I was licking my wounds at home no. because everything just crashed. The whole thing just fell to pieces. And I didn't see it coming and I wasn't prepared. And so I lost money. And, you know, it took me... What, what made you carry on? Why did you not just think, you know, sort of office job again? I nearly did. I nearly did. But it was, it's, it was that... I would say that that is the moment that Reclaim Yourself was really born. I think I was kind of practicing up until that point and it was all just easy and I thought it was really good fun and I was just kind of traveling with my friends and, you know, not not that the retreats were always easy, but it felt like an easy thing to be doing for a living. And at that point, I just thought, well, if I don't do this, what am I going to do? And I think that was the point where I went, I really am very passionate about this and I need to rebuild it and I need to start again and I need to get a strategy and I need to really focus. And I think that's the point when I redid my website, I got contracts, I got terms and conditions, I got insurance and I kind of went, right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly and I'm going to really protect myself. And uh, that's kind of when it really got a bit more serious. But it took me a good three years to rebuild it from there. It was hard. So looking back now, would you say that there were lots of lessons learned that you apply today and how you structure retreats and how you go forward with things? Yeah, 100%. Mm. 100%. Like, um, I, the biggest lesson I learned there, I think, was about the people that you work with. Yeah. And that I had just been choosing venues because I liked them where they were. Um, and um, <laughs> I... Um, I then chose from now onwards every time I choose a venue I like establish a relationship with them and I take my time Mm. and that's like from I try and meet people that I'm working with before I work with them but that's not always possible on the other side of the world but I take my time to establish a relationship and I try and make it more of a partnership so if I can I'll say you know we're in this together so what's the situation if I have to cancel it? What's the situation with the deposit? You know, can we take a risk together? Are you in this position? And I find that most people really want to work with me are quite reasonable. Whereas before, I just didn't check that out. I just went, yeah, great, no problem, let's do it. Mm. And now I have contracts for everything. I have contracts, I have NDAs, I have contracts, I have contracts with my staff. Whereas before I was working with teams of people and I didn't have contracts and it was all fine when it was going well and then when it wasn't going well and people weren't getting paid, then it all got very messy. Whereas now it's all very clear with everybody. And I spent money, you know, I invested, I went and got a lawyer and I had proper contracts done and my contracts protect my team as much as they contact that, you know, so it's all very fair and I feel very confident now mm. in how all the legal things work in case something goes wrong. Because sometimes it does. I mean, what's happening now? What's, what's been your biggest failure or the one you've learnt most from? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think that 
that time in 2008, I had booked this very, very expensive retreat center. Um, and I did lose a lot of money and that, that felt like a real failure. Um, but I have also, I mean, I've been in situations that I, like I've had a feeling that something wasn't right and I've ignored it and mm. carried on and I kind of beat myself up afterwards. So like I had a, a venue that I'd used for a couple of years in Italy and it changed ownership and I had a contract um, and I was told there was a change of ownership and all my instincts were going, no. But because the retreat was already booking and I had a contract, I thought it would be okay. And it was an absolute disaster. Um, and I mean, got, you know, all the things that happened on that retreat, the guests still had a good time, but I spent so much time just trying to protect them <laughs> from the, the new owner who God. was completely inappropriate. And, you know, something like that, I came away and I beat myself up about it for ages because I knew I'd ignored my instincts, but I just felt like the process was already going along and I couldn't mm. stop it, but I would stop it now. I mean, that was a good five years ago, that one happened. And there's things now where I just go, this isn't right, I'm not doing it. And that takes experience, doesn't it? And confidence and guts to actually think, you know what, I need to rein this back in. And I think yeah. a lot of people that will try and organize retreats now, don't have that experience. No. Often don't have the confidence to be able to deal with that situation and maybe ignore what responsibility retreats are. Like you're yeah. taking 20 people. Yeah. Who often, I guess, when people go to a yoga retreat, some people are going because they want a holiday. Yeah. But often people are going because they need a break from something. Absolutely, like maybe something's yeah. happened or is happening in their lives. Yeah. And they need a retreat. Yeah. <laughs> a retreat away from life to some degree. And that that's hard. Yeah. And I'm always thankful. Like, I do retreats for Jules. Like, I'm so thankful I can defer. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, when I'm teaching, I'm teaching. I'm all yours. Oh, when the class has ended, like, you know, speak to Jules. <laughs> yeah. If I had to teach two classes a day and deal with the logistics in an unusual venue, that would kill me. So Maybe, much energy you yeah. have to expend, isn't it? Like, a, a retreat centre is a little bit different everything's on hand they have staff to deal with that but actually uh exciting new venue you need someone to actually manage it don't you yeah i don't i don't know how people do it i mean you always have a team of people around you on, on board don't you yeah. i don't know how some teachers just do it completely by themselves that's a lot of roles you have to play isn't it yeah it i think smoothly. so mm. i mean I, I think um i mean i don't know because i'm not a teacher but i know lots of teachers do do this and i think mm. if you you know you rent either a, a retreat center or a location that's used to having teachers or that like you know the location very well and you do it year after year I guess that can be more straightforward yeah. mm. whereas what I'm doing is like I will go and find the most remote farm in Iceland that I can find mm. and rent the entire farm yeah. and it's completely empty so I'm creating the retreat from scratch so that's a huge amount of work I mean you came to Iceland with us last oh, year didn't you incredible. and the, you know it takes a big team to pull something like that off yeah. and if something you know you've got all those guests that are coming and it's that they don't know they think they're just coming to chill and behind the scenes there's this huge so logistical going machine on. going on what do you find harder is it being on the retreat or the lead up to it um actually the lead up to it that's a really good question it's harder work in terms of time or just intensity of things you have to do? Um, it's intensity and 
like once you're there it's like you're in like a bubble yeah so all other work everything else kind of stops and for that week that is where I am and my sole purpose is to make sure that, that is an amazing retreat. Almost you're in, almost in a performance mode, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. You're, you're and on the adrenaline's stage. going yeah. and you wake up at six and you're psh, on. And my whole purpose is to make sure that the guests are okay, the team's okay, the logistics work. And I, that is really, it's quite simple. I mean, things can be very challenging, but it's very familiar to me. I've been doing it for 15 years. But in the build-up, it's like multitasking because... I'll be preparing for that retreat, but there's loads of other retreats that I'm also getting inquiries for. And, you know, it could be like really last minute when someone goes, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I don't eat nuts. And you're like, <laughs> but I asked you to tell me if there was dietary stuff six weeks ago and the chef's <laughs> just done all the dry goods ordering and now I've got to email them. So lots of stuff like that tends to happen beforehand, which is problem solving and requiring a lot of patience when there's a huge workload. Whereas when you're actually on the retreat, you're just kind of in the flow. When things come up when you're in the flow, mm. how like how do you manage that? Because you're the head of the team. Like, what strategies do you have to deal with any like stress that comes up? Um, my so you can't join the class. No, <laughs> you can't meditate with us. No, I mean I guess I'm I these days I work with really good teams, so I have really good people around me so I'm not alone and most of the time depending on what the the situation is there's somebody else on the team that I can problem solve with so you know if it's a food issue I've got really good chefs and I can speak to them and say you know this has happened people weren't happy with their breakfast what can we do so I'm not I tend to not be problem solving by myself but if something big happens and I'm the decision maker um i most of the time i just my approach is i'm just like a solid rock and if there's a really big problem i will buy myself some time and sleep on it if i can and make a decision the next day just don't react in the you, moment you seem really super calm have you always been or do you have like a little red flag that <laughs> sets you up every now and oh, again oh yeah i would not i would not mess with yours <laughs> really we've never had any kind of altercation have no, we? no never decide. never no maybe one moment did we when i yeah when i well it wasn't really but i filmed Ooh, about a retreat another retreat oh that wasn't retreat. a moment that was an altercation. Oh my God. for me i'm quite a calm person now like holly and i haven't had an argument since <laughs> since we got together have we at all ever well, not any big horrible ones no now, where's the question again oh yeah but but nonetheless i would not mess with yours why but, do you say that though do you sense something? i don't know i her? sense <laughs> There, some hidden anger I sense you wouldn't get away with it no I sense with Jaws that you would not get away with stuff and the argument you would receive would be kind of logical <laughs> and reasonable and considered yeah like you would have slept on it and yeah. then I think you'd get torn apart no no <laughs> would you do the whole I'm not angry I'm just disappointed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the kind of vibe we might get <laughs> I mean I think I am a strong character I know that and I'm a strong leader and I don't um, I don't know I, I don't suffer fools gladly when they're working with me so mm. if someone is not delivering I will tell them straight because I'm just so focused on the fact that the retreat has to be amazing so if if something's happening um, with a team member I will 
pick it up and deal with it immediately. I won't leave it. It's like, that's not happening. We need to sort it out. And I would imagine if you're on the receiving end of that, that can be quite intense. But the way that I deal, I think I'm I'm strong and I communicate very clearly. Um, but I tend to do it with, you know, it's it's tough, but it's kind and then it's done. Yeah. And I don't like... No grudges, no bitterness no, or snide No, comments. and I really, it's really important to me on retreats that there's none of that going on. And if it is going on, I put a stop to it immediately. Yeah. And it's the same with a, with a guest. You know, if something's happening with a guest, I want to get it sorted and cleared. And I'm always able to reflect and if I've done something wrong I will apologize Mm -hmm. like whether it's to a client with a client or with a team member if I've you know been snappy or it's been too much I will go and apologize and I'll make sure everything's clear and clear clean clean and clear straight away that's so important I think two factors the pausing is so important yeah to not react in that moment yeah because that's sometimes where we don't have control like we have the initial stimuli whatever that is yeah the emotion comes up and if we, I think if we react before the emotion subsides, yeah, that reaction doesn't come from a very good place. Well, yeah, but we have, yeah, we have the control. Hopefully, we all can build the control. I think stimuli, acknowledge emotion, <laughs> breathe, pause, and actually then process, yeah. then react. And I think it's important if you can't do that in the moment, you can step away. Yeah, and then do that. Yeah, do that at a later point. And I think I've been doing this for quite a while now and I've done quite a lot of work on myself. I've had quite a lot of coaching um, and I know what my triggers are. And there's certain things that will make me, when I'm not calm. Can you tell us all of them please now? (laughs) (laughs) Usually if someone's rude to me. What if I swear at you? Let's no, do I don't it. mind that. Oh, really? No, I don't mind that at oh. all. I can't quite enjoy that. Spit at you? <laughs> <laughs> really up there. Like, no <laughs> coffee, <laughs> no thanks. Splatter all over Jules. Um, what's, what's one of those then? I think if someone's rude to me... Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, or like patronising mm. uh, or speaks to me in a disrespectful tone, I, for, I take that personally and I have to work so hard. So that's the kind of thing when I will kind of go okay fine okay I'll speak to you a bit in a bit about that and I have to take myself off and like normally what I'll do is I take myself off somewhere private and just work through it by myself yeah and it I sometimes can do it quite quickly and other times it will take me like I have to sleep on it or you know I've I've had things where I've been you know like someone has wanted something either a team member or a guest they can't have on a retreat and they just keep going at me and keep going at me and like I will have to take myself off and go is it better that you just give this person what they need and stop being in conflict or do you need to keep going Mm. with this conflict and sometimes I will just go do you know what just compromise like you know that's where I think yoga really helps that's what I've noticed in me is being able to kind of weigh up situations in the moment. Yeah. Like, what would I get from that? Like, an example I had was the other day in London. I was walking to a tube station and this guy kind of staggered slightly. You know, he, like, I couldn't tell if he was drunk or ill or on drugs. And we live in a quite a nice part of London. So it kind of like, oh, what's, what's he doing? I made eye contact with him. And as he walked past, he either sneezed on me or spat at me. Oh my god! Right from the side. Oh. Mm. And years ago, in my boxing days, 
like that wouldn't have lost i would have reacted yeah immediately but like in the moment very quickly i thought okay like if i hit him number one i'm gonna be late for my class that's gonna get me in trouble why would i hit him like <laughs> who is this rant he's clearly he has something wrong with him for him to do that what would be the mm. benefit of that like i would be doing something not that kind he's not going to learn a lesson from it but i'm going to get a criminal record from it potentially all these things went through my head in a few moments it seemed like and then i just stopped and just luckily had sanitizer in my pocket <laughs> just sanitize my face and my mouth and my nose <laughs> and everything i li literally put sanitizer on my tongue oh. uh, and just went straight to the place i was going to had a shower but it was just interesting to see how yeah. actually it's... the lack of the lack of immediate reaction and the weighing up of how will this serve me yeah how will this all the multitudes of actions that one could take in this moment how would each of them serve me yeah and actually getting into a confrontation with a random guy who has clearly something slightly going on with him is is not going to serve me in any way shape or form it's really interesting yeah well. really interesting yeah how how do you find because you're in this you're working in the wellness industry but what you've described there and your way of working isn't the way a typical kind of wellness person works there's lots of float well no i think there's lots of floatiness in the wellness industry mm -hmm. now of course some people come into the wellness industry from a corporate background and bring that with them yeah. and i guess increasingly so but maybe in the past it was full of the hippies or the people that don't necessarily have any kind of business experience don't need contracts don't write contracts or it's all trust it's for the love of each other like how would you how would you have you adapted your way of working to cope with perhaps the floatiness or fluffiness that you might have experienced in the wellness industry if i'm really honest i avoid it <laughs> if i'm really honest i think you know I, I think over the years that i've been doing it in the last kind of five years or so i think i've really fine-tuned uh, and realized I need to work with people who have the same kind of values as me. Hmm. And that goes from my team members to the people, the hosts. So I, I just don't do well with the fluffy types. That's just not me. Hmm. And so I get impatient and I don't have the same set of values. Hmm. And so it's, you know, a constant compromise and a challenge and i think that you know there's loads of that in the yoga world and it's wonderful and it's 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 not mm. for me um but i tend to like like attracts like doesn't it i end up working with people that are really on it they don't i mean you're not fluffy are you a little bit. He just doesn't show anyone the fluffy side. I've not seen Fluffy Adam I'm yet. So fluffy. Gooey inside, aren't you? Under that scary, dark, mysterious exterior. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think the value thing you mentioned there is interesting. Because on the one side, a lot of the yoga people might have some of the same values in that, oh, let's you know have vegan food mainly on retreats. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about having values that complement yours. <laughs> not that meet yours at your exact requirements Absolutely. like some of the chefs you use yeah like cook steaks in restaurants yeah aren't involved in the wellness industry at all yeah but are great to work with yeah they're but then they can completely honor let's say a vegan absolutely they're professional. so it's having relevant values that complement yours yeah they don't need to be your exact values yeah you don't need a tribe to run a retreat you need people that complement each other 
Absolutely. Yeah, but I I think when I'm talking about it, it's more the like their their way they approach their work. Mm. So you know, I have um, body workers working for me who do you know very deep somatic healing work, and the way they talk about the way they work is just not my cup of tea at all. But they're so good at what they do, and they're so professional. You know, they turn up, they do their treatments on time, they don't run over. Everyone loves them. They work hard. It's those kind of values for me. Yeah. Like rather than you know, I've worked with people in the past that have kind of they're body workers, and they say, you know, I've just got to go with the flow, and uh, you know, I know that I'm supposed to do three treatments in the next four hours, but one of them's just gone over by about forty-five minutes, so mm. I just, you know, I need to go with the flow. Mm. I can't cope with that, it's and like I think no boundaries, yeah, mm. and I think that in other people can work brilliantly, and they do these retreats, like I've worked with yoga teachers before, that they're not able to finish their yoga class on time because they're in the flow, and they're like, you know. I work in a in a in a in studios in London and it's such a like uh, a system where you have to just finish 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 a yoga retreat is the perfect time just to kind of just go and teach for 3 hours and <laughs> I can I know there's quite a few teachers that do that and I totally respect that but I can't work like that no. <laughs> so oh, hate isn't it running over time and being late and yeah i can see that on a retreat if you've got the time and everyone's just so into being Mm. in class but what i'm thinking is it's 10 30 they must be starving (laughs) the the chef just spent two hours creating this Mm. amazing breakfast and now you're all in yoga and the breakfast is ruined and now the chef's upset and yeah it's all about yeah it's complimenting complimenting values yes complimentary values i think so important and you i think it's really refreshing when you meet someone who's so different to you yeah but share we share so like alexia alexia is a wonderful teacher in vienna mm-hmm. and she would talk about the moon and crystals again respect that yeah but not my yeah, bag totally. at all yeah but i love working with her so much yeah she's kind professional on it and at what she does she is good yeah at what she does and it's not my thing yeah but she's good at it yeah and i love that i really yeah. love that combination yeah me too um, I, I, we do a lot of work with amanda tizard i don't know if you've mm. ever had a session with her yeah. like she's she's like she's really into this transformational breath stuff and she said to me one day you have to come for a session you really need it oh my god i hated it <laughs> i absolutely hated it and i freaked out and we both absolutely laugh about it. But I, I, you know, she comes on the retreats and she does that work with our guests and I totally respect it. But it's not for me, but she's so good at what she does and I love working with her and mm. that's fine. It's the same, it's like with the crystals and it's, you know, it's fine. Mm. As long as they finish their treatment on time. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's fine that balance of someone that is grounded and can have boundaries, but yeah. also can be a little bit on the floaty side as well. Has there been anyone like on this journey of creating retreats, anyone that's kind of inspired you along the way? Like any people you looked up to? I guess not necessarily in the retreat industry because in that sense you've been a bit of a pioneer. Yeah. I mean, Radka, who I mentioned earlier, the person who kind of put me in the path. Is she still alive? Do you know? I think so. She left Tanzania and went back to Slovenia and I lost touch with her. So um, I'd love to find her again. It's a beautiful country. Yeah. Have you been? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, it's actually. absolutely stunning. I'd love to do a retreat there. Easy to get to. Yeah. Okay, let's put it on the list. Yeah. 2022. Go for it. 
but you can't I can't ever spell the capital is Ljubljana yeah every time I book flight I teach there a little bit oh do you and every time I book flights uh, I have to google how to spell Ljubljana oh yeah can you spell it now then it's it's spelled Ljub I think oh yeah Ljubljana yeah anyway carry on yeah Yeah, inspiration Um, um, there was a um, I have to say actually uh, the woman who ran Purple Valley when I was there is a Canadian lady called Teresa Keane um, who is now based in London and watching her she took over running Purple Valley it was sold and she was put on put in as the director and she transformed it from being a kind of a locally run quite successful thing into a more international business and watching her do that really inspired me a lot and um we lost touch because i left and we only worked together for six months and actually she just reappeared in my life about a year ago and i've started working for her in a completely different context now because she does many many things but she um makes all the soaps and the mood sprays that we give our guests on retreats so she's come back into my life and it's like you know she always inspired me it's great to have her back in so i put her on my list and i had a mentor for a while a lady called mina who i actually met in my previous life in in development but she was there at the beginning when i was transforming my life into into the wellness industry and she just encouraged me non-stop and every time I thought I can't do this she's like you can and I'd meet up with her every six months and she'd like check in and even now after all these years every time I send out an e-newsletter she always sends me a thing saying I can't believe what you've done this is incredible well done I love this and I meet up with her every couple of years and she's watching everything I do oh lovely and uh, yeah amazing woman I'd love to be able to do that for somebody one day because she's kind of stuck with me through the whole 15 years and just told me I'm great because sometimes you need that don't you oh my god you do I need that yeah shut up Uh, so that's good advice what's the worst advice you've had Um, any really crap advice you've been given um I think um there's been people along the way that have told me like oh just you know don't aim too high there's a lot of competition out there like don't take any risks you know just go with the flow kind of kind of encouraging me to th- not think big mm. that, they're, they're normally the people that aren't really shooting for the stars like yeah they're just saying from their experience aren't they what they yeah mean. and the kind of people that say you know one of the things that i've always kind of given myself a hard time about is it's taken me ages and ages and ages to be successful at this Mm. because I kind of came into it not going I'm going to set up a retreat company and this is my business plan mm. and here's my projections and then I just kind of went oh I'm just going to run a few retreats and see what happens so they kind of started off as these projects so I never really had a business plan and then I never really had any business running costs I didn't really understand how any of that works I don't have any training in doing business accounts and so like there was like several years where I just didn't make any money. I just kind of got paid for what I did and there was no profit. And like, it just seemed to go on for ages and ages and ages and ages. But actually looking back all that time I was creating and that's Mm. what I really loved doing. I didn't come into this with a business plan to make loads and loads of money. I came in because I wanted to create this stuff and that's what I love. probably wouldn't have succeeded. Do you think? Even if you had a perfect business plan. I always wonder. If you don't have the creativity behind it, 
and the passion behind mm. it and you haven't actually experienced it I think much yeah. like yoga teaching if you haven't had a long-term yoga practice yeah it's probably going to be very hard for you to be a good teacher but how many hours of training you've done if you haven't experienced yeah. a yoga practice for a long time yeah it's impossible to really convey it isn't it yeah, that's true. I guess it's that thing you do, isn't it? Sometimes I look at retreat companies that have been around for like five years and I do that thing that you should never do and look on social media and go, oh my God, look what they're doing. They've only been doing it for five years. I've been doing it 15 years. Mm. I've only just got there. But I don't actually know, you know. If the background, yeah, you've got no idea. No idea at all. And that's that's the thing is we, we often with social media, we can compare ourselves to others so easily, can't we? Yeah. And yoga teachers do it. And anyone can write whatever they want about themselves yeah that's anyone true. could put up the photos and put whatever copy they want you know you can say that i am an international yoga teacher what does that mean yeah well, i've taught <laughs> i've taught in northern ireland once like, <laughs> yeah. you know, what could it mean anyone can write their own views and distort the world almost like in a yoga class they've got no idea if the person next to you is a dancer a child gymnast yeah injured pregnant yeah but we we have this thing about comparing ourselves, don't we, all the time? Yeah. And it's it's going to make make everyone neurotic. Absolutely. And then you make all these assumptions, don't you? Like I I will sometimes like look at something and just think, oh my god, they must have an amazing business plan and loads of funding and they've got mm. a great marketing plan and look at their whole brand, it's amazing. I wish I'd done that because mm. I feel like I'm kind of constantly involving and changing and low. You know, it's like oh, I'm going to do this now and then I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then I look at somebody else. And like you said, they, it could be one person who's just sat and made an amazing facade mm. and what's behind it. And there's no real shortcut to success, I don't think, either. I think you really do have to have those ingredients of passion yeah. and then actually putting the groundwork in to sow the seeds and mm. then see the benefits, you know, after probably lots of years of, and competence. of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a mix yeah, of everything. We often forget that as well, competence. Yeah. That you're clearly just good at what you do. Yeah. In a sense, that you could have all the passion in the world but if it wasn't going to work for you because yeah. you just don't have the ability to coordinate retreats and the personality type to deal with it, yeah, you wouldn't have got where you are. Yeah. And where, so where are we at now with, with the retreats and everything that's going on in the world currently? Because I know you said you had the crisis in 2008. Are you pulling through any lessons from that point to what's going on now? How are you coping? Yeah, I mean, here we are. I, I had a whole load of retreats planned for this year. Mm. And then suddenly this coronavirus appeared and, and you know, we were like, oh dear, we probably won't be able to run our retreat in Japan in May. Okay, we better cancel that one because people started to drop out. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, okay, be fine. And now it's just beginning to really dawn on me this is quite a big thing. And that's kind of what happened to me exactly the same for different reasons in 2008 is, you know, when that financial crash happened, it happened, it was like a few rumours that it was coming and then suddenly, boom, it was just done so quickly and that feels like what's happening now. And at the time it felt that it was the end, but actually what happened in that time, it was when I had time to step back and pause and this whole new Reclaim Yourself was born. And I remember the passion that I had to rebuild it then was so powerful. And I had a similar experience in 2016 when the Brexit vote came. There was another mini crash then, um, like both financial and, and everyone cancelled retreats. And again, 
that's when I kind of changed my team, changed my contracts and just went, I'm going to start specialising and doing these extraordinary mm. locations. So just before all of this happened, already a change was starting to happen with Reclaim Yourself because, you know, we've been... I, I normally run 10 retreats a year and they're kind of all around the world. And I started to feel quite uncomfortable about all the flying climate change and where do I sit in that you know and resisted it for a year going well you know we're working really powerfully with our local partners we're doing really good work putting money into economies you know I'm fine I'm fine and then I just started to think I'm not fine and I need to really address this so you know in the last year in 2019 I'd actually started looking at how I could become a sustainable travel company and how I could shift what I was doing. So that process was already in motion, but I was finding it quite hard to find the time to work out how to do all of that. It's an enormous amount of work to suddenly look at everything you're doing and work out how to make it sustainable and looking, it's not just looking at your carbon footprint, it's everything. And now I've got the time. So now there's a pause happening. I can't run any retreats. I can't really sell any retreats. I just need to wait and see what's happening. So although it's kind of a worrying time because I don't know when we're going to start running retreats again and what's going to happen financially, I'm trying to draw strength from the fact that both times that this has happened to me before, it has been a transformational time for me. Mm. And I've been able to like step back and go, right, well, when this has passed, you know, at the moment we're grounded, aren't we? As I think pretty much there's by the end of this month there's not going to be any flights going anywhere all countries are closing their borders i mean it's it's an it's such an unprecedented situation and i'm normally flying people around and it's something that i've been uncomfortable with for a while so what's going to come out next what's the next phase of reclaim yourself going to be so i'm trying really hard to see it as an opportunity but i'm also feeling quite glad that i've been through something like this before because I do have really good relationships with my host partners. I'm trying, to, some of the people I'm working with are running really small businesses in developing countries and I'm still trying to support them. And the people that have booked on my retreats at the moment are all being really understanding and they're hanging on there with me. So I feel like I'm in, it's not a nice place to be, but it's quite a comfortable place. And yeah, oh. it's, it's it's nice that we everyone and everyone's kind of in it together yeah. to some degree. Unlike anything I've experienced, people are all supporting each other. They are. And there's not a lot of I think normally when things go quiet, I have a lot of guilt. Yeah. That I'm yeah. not doing it and everyone else is. But you yeah. know that no one's running <laughs> no one's running retreats. That's true, yeah. No one's flying anywhere. That's, That's true. So lovely, so it's, yeah. it is forcing people to actually pause and slow down and think about Yeah, what's and like important. I've always wondered like what it would be like if everyone just agreed to have a day off today. Like everyone agreed and the yeah. world just stopped for a day yeah. yeah this isn't the ideal circumstances of that of course and it's very tragic yeah but making the the best of a bad situation mm. yeah it's a refreshing way to look at it as an opportunity yeah it is an opportunity and my my experience before i mean you know when we had the crash it's been mostly financial um and a lot of what's going on now is also financial mm. like i'm self-employed you guys are self-employed lots of people we know are self-employed and this is scary. Mm. And then on top of that, there's the whole, you know, really worrying health aspect yeah. of it all. But we are also all in the wellness industry. Yeah. 
and I, I kind of feel like I'm not a yoga teacher. I don't have a particularly strong practice, but I'm surrounded by people in the wellness industry. And I'm like thinking, I really need to look after myself right now. I'm quite scared mm. about what's happening, like all of it. And that I, I, I have to really quite work quite hard to make myself feel okay about it. And I think lots of people are feeling like that. And here we are in the wellness in- industry. So let's kind of crack on track on yeah and yeah. Do, that's what we're doing you've got to practice yeah. what you preach really exactly it's, yeah I, feel, I actually feel quite blessed to be a teacher in this time I do feel you like, yeah because it's like you have to you're it's like you really have to teach now yoga this is the yoga this is the time yeah. when people need it the most yeah um and yeah we're having to rethink how we're doing a lot of things and lots of classes being cancelled and stuff and like yeah. you said yeah i'm trying to see it's an opportunity and now we can maybe reach out to more people mm-hmm. and yeah like you said practice what we preach and yeah mm. can we yeah. do a little quick fire okay are we at that point already here we oh, are oh quick we fire are. shit come quick yeah. so <laughs> yeah, you're, we're allowed to swear we're options i've marked the podcast as explicit because you get in trouble if you swear and it's not oh really so okay. I mark so every episode as explicit oh, just get it all assuming that someone swears as well we don't <laughs> we still want kids to listen like but swearing. right quick fire you travel loads all over the world mm-hmm. what's the best thing you've purchased travel accessory wise but under £100 something really useful my bum bag I thought you were going to say your bum then. I was like, is that for sale? <laughs> your your bum bag. What's it called what in America? You call your that? fanny pack. Fanny pack. Yeah, I nearly fanny said pack. that. My fanny pack. Why? <laughs> your face. Like, what's in it? so disappointed. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but you're Mr. Gadget. What, like, brand, just... what brand is a fanny pack? Oh, God. It's Lululemon. Okay. What, nice. What's... That's oh, fine. Oh, what's no. It... No, we like. Yeah, Lululemon. It's big up, oh. Lululemon. What, what, what's so good about it? Why is it so useful? Oh, my God. It's just perfect when you're traveling, isn't it? You've got everything where you need it. We you like passports, money? Passport, money, my to-do lists. Like, everything I need to arrive in a country and get cracking. Because I'm like, I'm the person, aren't I, that, you know, you arrive with the team, I'm the person that has to sort out all the flights, pay for the taxis. Okay, I've got my currency in there, everything, yeah. I, this scare me a little bit, fanny packs. Like, I bought one when I had a dog, and it was useful for that. But my fear is that I put all this valuable stuff in it, like passports, and I leave it somewhere. Because yeah. I'm not accustomed to wearing it. Yeah. And I put it down and suddenly I've lost everything in one go. Did you ever wear it then? I wore it for like dog treats. Mm. It had like dog, dog treats in <laughs> and shit bags. You can lose them. But okay, I need to turn this quick fire around on you just briefly. What is the best thing you've bought? Because I've never travelled with anyone like you. You're the most well-equipped traveller oh, ever. Mr Gadget, you have to tell us I think what yours the, is. So bags-wise, I'm a big fan lately of buying stuff that is sustainable. Like yeah. buying from brands where the stuff will last me forever. Yeah. So the Trake bags are one. They've given me a oh, few, your bags but I've bought great. a lot. Yeah. Most of them are more than £100, mm. but the things that aren't is their little packing cubes. So oh, they have these yeah. like waterproof packing cubes. Mm. And I use them for travel and I use them like just every day in general life. I use them for camera equipment, I use them for socks. So it's just amazing to see the waterproof, bright orange cubes. Waterproof cubes, that's brilliant. Water so resistant, you, you need water to resistant, yeah, you need to water resistant cubes. Oh my God, I have to be so honest, I completely just switched off through all of that. <laughs> it just shows how different I'm so not practical at all. I'm like thinking of asking the next question, which is, what's your favourite sunset that you've ever seen, Jules? <laughs> <laughs> that is is that like, a real yeah, question? That's a real question for me. Best sunset. Oh, sunset. Can I yeah, do sunrise? sunrise? You can do it either. Sunrise. Yeah. Um, Sri Lanka. Oh. 
Do you remember you did that photo shoot? That's what I'm talking oh, about. You know, oh, you know, spectacular, wasn't it? That was an amazing it? photo shoot. Sri Lanka I love in. Vision in my head now. Were you there? You were there with us on the photo shoot? Yeah. That morning. I was watching. When that guy was flagging us down. Yeah, because you were on the edge of the yeah. rocks about to kill <laughs> this, yourself. This Sri Lankan <laughs> fisherman who looked miles away was just like making a sign. And we were like, is he telling us to get down? Are we in like a <laughs> sacred cliff? What's 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 a sign? And I think it was, dance. you're gonna die if you do a handstand there. A oh. massive wave is gonna come yeah. and wash you off. And then it did, did in yeah. I've got a photo yeah. evidence of me yeah. in Warrior Two with this wave just taking me. Yeah. I'm glad you're still here today. Yeah. But that sunrise was mm. incredible. Mm. You should post a picture of it when you um, post this. I know that was yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that was cute. Yeah. Like, it's a cute idea. Yeah. Uh, final question. Oh, no, 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 I'll do one. Then Hollywood do yes, one. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, is there? What's your spiritual practice? If there is one at all, like what would you say that is for you? Um, my spiritual practice is. I don't know if this is even you would count it. It's the thing that keeps me sane. Is I go to the gym. I, no, think I think that, that can be saying counts. anything that keeps you saying yeah. so I think spiritual just is a weird word it's isn't it lots of connotations around that yeah. something that keeps you together I've kind mm. of um, it's it's almost a sad thing to say but I think you know when I set Reclaim Yourself up I was I had I practiced yoga every day but it's kind of become work mm. for me and so I when I'm not doing yoga retreats I like to do something completely different mm. I like to be out of the yoga world and I like being in the gym which is so in my gym it's not a yoga space at all mm. um, and I like going spinning um, and the other thing that I am really using a lot at the moment is um, I'm really loving that Calm app Oh yeah, okay. do you use that? Not used it, right? Oh no, my no. god, that is you know, it's got bedtime stories on it so if mm. you can't sleep like I find when I've when something big's happening it tends to bother me at night more. In the daytime, I can be quite logical about stuff. And then at night, I'm like, oh, no, and I wake up a lot. So I'm using the Calm app to help me sleep. It's got white noise stuff on it. It's got meditations. It's got really, like, inspirational nice. talks. It's fantastic. It's a really great app. So I use that a lot. Amazing. Yeah. On that note of spirituality, I think, like, just thinking out loud, like, the most intimate part of the universe that we can connect with is our bodies. Hmm like you know the other bits are, you know, are harder to access for the average westerner but our bodies is the most yeah, intimate thing we can connect tangible. to the universe to something yeah tangible thing that we can connect to greater than ourselves and then I think, so, I think in that sense connecting with your body is the first step to some sense of spirituality yeah just thinking out loud yeah thanks thinking out loud you're Holly, Holly and to finish on the food because I always have to ask what's your favourite sweet treat Sweet treat. Or are you a sweet person? In fact, or favorite favorite treat that you would go to when you want to be a bit naughty? Oh, when I want to be a bit naughty, I'd actually eat pizza. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a girl. Yeah, I am actually. Adam can't tell the difference between sweet and savory. Really? I get really confused. I don't, I don't like it as a concept. It. Oh. Let's not get into that. that All right. That's another, for another time, but it's odd. Jules, thanks for being here. Thank you for what having should, me. What, what should people look at? Website, Instagram, what are people looking at? Reclaim Yourself. All one word. All one word. Reclaimyourself.co.uk is Same my website. Same social media. My social media is all Reclaim Yourself. Um, yeah, Instagram. Then a little plug. I've got a retreat with Jules. I've got... Where are we going? We're going to the Azores, which is our new favourite place, is it not? The Azores. Yeah, exactly untouched beautiful remote island remote as remote as you can get really in terms yeah. of islands yeah in the middle of the Atlantic 
And then we have Iceland. Then we've got Iceland. And then we have next year Norway. We're going Norway winter weekender. And we're now in planning process, aren't we, for next year's retreats. We've got some great yeah. ideas. So yeah, head out, head on to the website, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having we'll have me. another gin and tonic now. Thank you. Yeah, let's have a drink. <laughs> Honestly, I'm balanced.